Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I'm your host, John Robb, joined here by my fabulous co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing good, considering. Considering that we are still in lockdown, and it is day, I don't even know what day it is anymore. It's just day, Million whatever. Million six. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just a long day, but that's okay. You know, I'm having a lot of fun. We're having a lot of fun. We're doing a lot of great interviews. Uh, we want to remind everybody that, of course, all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine, so visit suspensemagazine.com, along with Kensington Books, so make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information. We have a very exciting guest coming up today, um, debut author, latest book, or first book is called Fractured Tide. Uh, that book will be out now when you're hearing this interview. The book should be out now, and the author is lovely Karen Lutz. So, lovely, we want to thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for doing this. So, yes, and welcome. I mean, this is an exciting time. Um, debut book. We love talking to debut authors because there's always a great story behind, you know, uh, just getting the book out. But let's dive in right now to you letting us know exactly what you got going on in Fracture Tide. Okay. So you want sort of a, what, what the story's about? Whatever uh, so, you want to yeah, give us. Yeah, the the main character of Fractured Tide has been working on her parents' scuba diving charter for as long as she can remember. And when her dad goes to prison three years before the start of this book, which forces her out of school, and uh, she's now being homeschooled and pretty much works the dive charter all day. So this is her, her life. And when the book store starts, she has a terrible dive accident, and the charter is destroyed. She ends up on a deserted island with three other survivors. And at first, she thinks that getting back to the mainland is going to be about making a really big signal fire uh, or trying to repair the, the wreck charter that's on the beach. But when they experience time loops on the island, they realize that that's not the case. This isn't a normal place. So that's the general setup of the story. Um, and it, it's, it's got a sea monster in it because I love monsters. Uh, and that was one of my uh, things I've always wanted to do writing a writing a book is to create a really awesome monster so she has to face off against that um, and there's also the mysteries of the island itself like why is it such a strange place and she's got to figure that out if she's going to get him home well um the description says lost meets stranger things and i can't think of a better way of looking at it it, it fits that really well um curious um did you have to hold back at all on any of the horror and the monster scenes, considering this is a YA novel? Yeah. I, so it's, a, it's an interesting line to walk, writing a horror slash thriller for the young adult market, because you don't want to gross people out because then it's not going to get into libraries, you know. And at the same time, 70% of young adult, re, young, the, of the audience of young adult books right now are read by adults for these kind of crossover books from 13 and up. So you also don't want to make it like too much of a kiddie book for the older audience. So luckily, one of the things that scares people the most is not showing them everything. So that's actually, a, it's a good thing. You don't have to throw a bucket of gore on, on the deck of a ship to, to scare people because their imagination and that's what I really leaned into on this book is you see um, hints of what's happening. You get flashes and you get her fear. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how you walk that line for a young adult thriller 
and uh, and so the imagination does plenty. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, but you know, the, and, and and I think that you made a very good distinction uh, distinction there because you you are walking a tightrope line here. You you're walking a line of YA, but you do realize that adult readers do read YA books, so you kind of had that in mind, but. When you were kind of having to balance that out, how many things maybe I think in your mind kind of hit the cutting room floor that kind of couldn't make it in, didn't want to make it in, and then have you decided, hey, maybe the next time you'll write out of YA into more of an mm-hmm. adult to keep more of those things in? Have you thought about that? Yeah, I, I, I think the things I edited out the most, uh, I had a more gory version of the monster attack scene that, that comes early on in the book in my head. And I ended up pulling back a lot. Like I'd write something and then cut it and go, no, no, I can't do that. Uh, so I think if I were to write for an, write an adult horror thriller, I would add a little bit more, um, of the consequences of, of what you're seeing, but still, even if I were writing, Out of suspense and fear, and, and and so I wouldn't go too much farther. I think where I, the biggest changes would happen and it would be in the relationships. So, the main character's uh, conversations with, for example, her love interest, or those scenes. Um, because of course, in a, in a young adult book, although it's getting young adult is it's definitely getting quote unquote older in content. Generally, a sex scene is something that you would you just don't put into young adult. Uh, so referencing that, um, anything like that, that would have to wait for if I were to write um, for an adult market. But one of the interesting things about this book, it's a letter from the main character to her father who's in prison. So I got to the point in the book, to speaking about things that you can't show or something like that. So I, first of all, can't show too much of the romance angle. But then she's writing a letter to her dad. And what teenage girl is going to tell him everything she's thinking (laughs) she's just not so it was a really it was a big trick to try to write this climactic love scene where she finally you know admits her feelings because um she's not gonna she's herself is gonna edit herself when she she actually tells her father the story so yeah it's like what details to leave in what to leave out um for young adult got complicated by the Oh, we there, Leslie? Yeah, uh, sorry, you cut oh, out. There you go. Okay. Yeah, it, it, it's cool. Um, I, I'm curious. Um, why did you decide to write journal entries and letters to the dad rather than doing just straight chapters? What made you decide to go that route? I started this book uh, back in 2016, and it was a straightforward past tense narrative. And I, I, uh, I was having a lot of trouble getting my head around the story. Um, I wrote 100 pages, and I just didn't like it, threw it away. Started again with a different premise, got to page 40 and stalled out. And um, I was thinking back on some of the experiences I had as a, I was a volunteer teacher at a women's prison um, some years back, teaching once a week GED classes. And uh, I a lot about the relationships that those women had with their kids that they you know you, you think about stereotypes I was listening to one of your other episodes with um, Mark Greeny 
and he was talking about the stereotypes we have about, you know, who the villain should be, that they should be this, uh, this guy who's from another country rather than an American. I was thinking, of, and I, so that kind of reminds me of the stereotypes that we hold about prisoners. When I was teaching, I realized that that was, um, those stereotypes were all wrong. And once I, I was, that was in my head a lot when I was writing this. And I thought, what if this is a, a letter, kind of like a, a message in a bottle to her father? And he's, you know, he's been incarcerated and she has this great relationship with him rather than this stereotypical relationship with either a father who's super innocent. Pray. Um, in the media. And and so that kind of came together for me. I just wanted her to be telling the story directly to her dad. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. And it's nice to hear we actually have another listener, John. <laughs> exactly. See, that's like four confirmed <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I absolutely uh, listen to your show. So, <laughs> thank, well, thank you. you. Um, well, then you know how crazy we are. So when, when you were sitting down, because this is your debut book, and, and you probably went through several different inc- you know, incarnations of what it's going to be or what it was going to be, and, you, and, and who knows if this was even your first uh, kind of um, project when you first set out to, to write, but how has it kind of changed, and how was the process for you going from sitting down and writing the beginning to the end, and then finally seeing it now getting published um, in about a week from when we are recording this. Oh, yeah. I, it, it is amazing to me how much it's changed over time. Of course, I, there were those two false starts I made. And once I finally got the right voice, which was this you know, teenage girl trying to talk to her dad, then it, I, I pretty much I wrote the draft straight through, um, but went through a, a whole year of revision at least. And the part that gave me the most trouble was the middle. And I think that's not that much of a surprise to any writers listening. <laughs> the soggy middle is sometimes a very big problem. So things like, you know, the ramp up and, and wrapping it up, I didn't have a problem with. But the middle has a lot of, um, a lot of the, the heavy dialogue scenes and some of the very important character development moments. And I, um, I had to shift some character traits around to make it work and so yeah that I think the middle got rewritten I don't know how many times but I would rip out entire scenes and, and rewrite uh, and so that's part of my process and over the years being a writer I've learned how important it is just let, let it go you know sometimes you write a scene and it's no good Where, when I first started I'd write a scene and uh, I would just keep nitpicking it to death thinking oh if I just change the sentence structure enough I'm sure it'll work out now and that's just not the case sometimes you have to just toss it and that was part of my process for the middle of this book. One of the things I loved about this book was you describe water and swimming in deep water. And I just, I felt like I was actually doing that and that's rare. And I have to ask you, talk to me about that because I, I admit that I'm not a, swimmer myself and I was getting a little uncomfortable at times so the the underwater scenes um, I I think I just have a my relationship with water I I love to be in the water I love to scuba dive 
So when I immerse myself in those moments, and I'm landlocked where I live, so when I'm writing those scenes, it's also me vicariously just getting out and getting in the water myself. Of course, in my head, I don't have monsters in the water with me. But Good, good. Uh, yeah, there's no monsters. But writing those scenes, I, I would lean, I guess I lean pretty heavily into metaphor, uh, but I also think about what is it like to, to be free in the water? You, you know, you don't have gravity weighing you down. Um, how is movement different when, when you're not walking? When you're, when you're, and also dealing with the time, the built-in, um, you have the ticking clock of how long can you stay under, which is, which a lot, where she would be underwater and she wanted to surface and she couldn't because she had to hide. Uh, so in the way that your lungs feel when they're pushing for that push of oxygen. So I just thought a lot about my own experiences in the water and tried to, um, Try to make that come alive. And anyway, I'm glad it were. I'm glad you felt like you were in the water when you were reading it. Yeah, no, it, it was amazing. Thank you for that. Now, did you did you want to set out? Uh, and, uh, this is I, I'm assuming this is going to be be a standalone book, um, and, and maybe not the and maybe not a series. Was was that planned at the beginning? Was this just something that you decided that you just had to get out? Um, was it the characters? Was it the plot? You know, what was the thing that really just got you excited to keep going back and finishing this? Because you said, you know, you started this in 2016, so you were at it for quite some time. What was your excitement about wanting to keep going on this? The main thing for me, I remember when I first set, set out to write it, my first thought was I'm going to write a book about scuba diving because I love it, I know something about it, and I want people to be able to experience what that's like, the world underwater um, but then, of course, this, I had to have a story that <laughs> caught me in the water. So what is it about the story that really propelled me? And I, I think it's – there's this the, – I, I have always been attracted to survival literature of any sort, and I've always wondered, what is it like? What would it be like if I had to survive with just my wits and whatever was lying around? Would I be able to do it? So I think that's just a, a – uh, something that's been in my head a long time that I would love to know. I I would love to have a you know, like a one week where you get dropped off in the woods and you have to survive that kind of thing. I just think that would be an interesting experience. And yeah, it would be harrowing and it'd be difficult. You learn about yourself at the end of it. So I guess that's one of the reasons why I kept sticking with this survival story. Um, and, and then as I made it more complicated for the character, I just kept making her suffer more <laughs> because when you make a character suffer, generally the story gets a little bit better. So, um, and uh, so I think that I wanted to see, you know, what kind of person she was going to end up being at the end of it. And, uh, you know, our character, Sia, she in the beginning believes that a lot of her, the hard time she's had as a kid, that they, she wishes her life had been different. Uh, so that maybe she would be a better person of some sort. And one of the things I think she's going to learn, and, and all of us learn, is that the, the hardships we have shape us. And not you know, a lot of time we can actually, they can shape us into something wonderful rather than something that you don't have to wish that your life were different uh, because those experiences you've had, the painful ones, help shape you into the person you are, and that, that's good enough. Um, so I like the idea of survival as a kind of um, a testing ground for the character. 
I, I couldn't do that in a million years for the record. I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> if, if they're giving out donuts periodically, then maybe. Uh, yeah, they, they'll do a, a drop, like an airplane drop of donuts on the, yeah, on the floor. There we go. <laughs> when, when, where, and, and when will that happen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, so I'm curious about your publishing story. You finished this book. Uh, how did you go from going, this is good, to having it end up in my hands to read? How did that go? I uh, About five years ago, I joined this really awesome group called the DFW Writers Workshop. And um, I read a previous book to them, actually two previous books that I had been working on. And I, I got so much out of these wonderful, this wonderful critique group because they helped push me to become a better writer. So by the time I get to this manuscript, Six Fracture Tide, uh, I, I worked on it very hard with their advice. And then I went to the DFW Con, uh, the, the writer's convention, where they have these sort of, it's like speed dating with agents. They have, you know, these things. Like Thriller Fest has one of these. Right. And uh, so I had gone to previous years and talked to agents about some of the other projects. So by this time, I'm more comfortable pitching, looking at an agent in the face and not freezing (laughs) all of the things that you need to be able to do. And I pitched it to Amy Bishop of Distal Goddard and Brett, and she, she loved it. And um, then she signed me after I sent her pages and she signed me. Then uh, it took her about a year. Uh, we've been, and then she, she shopped it around and finally HarperCollins was the one. There were a couple of other interested publishers but um, in earlier um, rounds of shopping, but HarperCollins ended up being the one that, that loved the story. And I really liked working with, I mean, HarperCollins, Link, they're fabulous. They really are. That's good. That's good to jump out of the gate and get a good one, too, one that you're comfortable with and one that you like, because sometimes that doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, they've been, I I like, I think the culture there is really great. And, um, but also I I can't, I couldn't be happier with my choice of agent. I mean, she has been supportive. She's one of these hands-on agents who is, uh, gives editorial advice and and does it diplomatically. So uh, she understands how important it is that, you know, to keep your client calm (laughs) because it's all very exciting and it's pretty easy to get um, worked up about whether or not you're going to screw up your revisions. But uh, she was just, she's been great, always being very supportive. So what were some of the myths that might've been busted when you were signed and then you were kind of in the, in the business now and you were kind of like, Oh, didn't really know that's how it worked. Um, You know, you always get those things because people that, you know, from the outside, they're like, oh, well, you just write a book, and then it's just easy, and you get this, and then you just, it's like, yeah. What kind of, you know, was there a myth that was kind of busted for you? I'm trying to think. I I didn't, the the length of time that it takes to put something together, uh, I I didn't, I I heard before, but it was different to experience it. Uh, Mm -hmm. it. And I always thought, well, I wonder if there, why that is, is it just because there's no room in the the publishing calendar? But it's it just, I had no idea how much work HarperCollins, people put into their side, especially the marketing. And they, oh, the people, the marketers, people who are doing the marketing with um, with this book have been so fantastic and worked tirelessly 
it just reminds me, I have friends who self-publish and do it well. And um, I don't think I could do it just because of the exhaustion factor of the marketing. Because to do it right, you have to, it's a full-time job. So I guess I was necessary. That would be my big mythbuster. Yeah. Um, you mentioned this writer's group. Um, it's Dallas-Fort Worth, right? That's what DFW yeah. is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I hear about writers' groups. I hear some people say, you know, oh, you know, you don't need a writers' group. And I hear other people say, oh, you absolutely have to have a writers' group. Could you talk a bit more about what a good writers' group does for you? Yeah. So I've been in about three different writers' groups, and for I, everybody needs something a little different. But what I found is a small writer's group didn't really work for me because I need a variety of opinions. And uh, that's one of the things I like about DSW Writers Workshop is there are over 200 members. So every Wednesday night, now they've been meeting for 40 years every Wednesday night. And, and the COVID-19 crisis has not stopped that. We're meeting on Zoom every, oh, every nice. Wednesday night. Yeah, for oh. critiquing. And, so you're uh, actually meeting it, in person, or are you doing it like just virtually? Oh, Zoom. We're totally zooming it. Oh, we're okay, following. Yeah. We're totally yeah. following the rules and, and just doing everything remotely. Uh, but what 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 I like about a good critique group? I like rules and structure, and I think that you with critique groups is that if there isn't enough structure, then you have some people who start sort of dominating conversations and and getting off topic in the middle of a critique. Um, or it's, it's just not, it's not efficient. And, and, uh, so I think a good writer's group needs to have a set of rules about what do we do when we get together? Cause it can't be one hour of chatting <laughs> about your dog. It's gotta be, all right, you're going to have five minutes of chatting and then we're going to do this. So we have a brief meeting at DFW workshop and then we break up, which now are zoom rooms in the, con- in the virtual zoom. And, uh, each reader has 15 minutes to read their work, no more. And there's a moderator. And I know that sounds a little bit restrictive, but it just makes the night move so much uh, just more smoothly. And then if people really want to chat, they, we always go to IHOP afterwards. I mean, not the last two months, but well, uh, there's a chance for you to do that. You can just go to a restaurant everybody and, and talk about anything you want. So I would say if you're looking for a writer's group, look – Look for a group that's been around a while and has a critiquing focus rather than, oh, we're going to bring in speakers, okay. uh, and where you get to read your work and get live feedback from, from other writers. And, and bigger is better because that way you can rotate in and out with different opinions, different, uh, different writers and perspectives, because uh, that way you can... Issue. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now. Oh, there okay. you are. Go back. Okay. I, I hope you can edit those parts out. <laughs> <laughs> he can't edit. <laughs> uh oh. It'll be what it will be, and I don't it think will. there's any rules in virus time. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> we don't have to worry about that. Well, and speaking of it's virus time. How are you, besides writing or anything like that, how are you spending your time? Are you binge-watching movies? Or I'm just, like, trying to find any kind of sports I can to do something and, you know, something a little out of the ordinary. But 
uh, how are you kind of spending your time? Uh, I have a second grader who's oh, normally there you going go. to Game school. Over. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. So she normally goes to school, and she is home for some fabulous homeschooling. And don't now. <laughs> It's going okay. I'll say it's going okay. The school has been doing its best, and but that boy, I tell you, you're you're implementing a curriculum that's kind of complicated. And uh, for example, we just started cursive, yay, and um, right. multiplication. So these, <laughs> I think, if you have an older child who's maybe a junior or something, I mean, sure, there's definitely some things you have to do, but there's not as much hands-on. I mean, I love spending time with my daughter. Definitely, this has been a huge shift. So we start around, you know, nine in the morning and just keeps going uh, until three. And then, you know, then there's other parenting things. So that takes up uh, the bulk of my time. I'm also trying to write another book. And so I usually try to fit that in into the morning. But I, I'd be lying if I say it hasn't been chaos. It's just it's been tough to adjust and try to we're all my husband works out of the house. And so we're all sort of on top of other. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so my experience has, has not been as relaxing <laughs> as, it, as it could be for sure. But, I mean, everybody's experiencing anxiety, sure. even if they don't have these kinds of distractions at home. I mean, it's a really tough time for everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was going to say my wife works in virology, and my daughter's a senior in high school, and this is definitely going to be a – Graduation year that will be memorable for sure. Um, yeah, it's, uh, we're all going to have stories. Oh, of course. Oh, yes. Um, so I was going to ask. Um, I'm sure your agent said, "What's next?" Um, you say you're working on the next book, or is there another book in the pipeline that's already finished and going to come out the following year? What's up? I am working on another book now. Like you said, this is a fractured tides a standalone. Um, and really, when I when I wrote it as a standalone, it was partly I thought it would it might be easier to sell uh, a trilogy, so I I didn't choose to to try to write some kind of trilogy. But I'm working on a ghost story, and again, I it's a young adult. Ghost stories. I love ghost stories too. And this one takes place in Savannah. I've been working on it a long time. It's actually the manuscript I started before Fracture Tide that has gone through massive revisions, and I'm close, very very close <laughs> to finishing Ooh, it. Cool. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but I, I wanted to deal with the stress that a haunting can put on, on someone. Especially if it's not a haunted house, it's really the person who's being haunted wherever she goes. So that's well, the I thing would, about haunted house stories. I would have guessed you, know, you would have written something like this because you mentioned early in the interview that the thing about what the, the scary part about the book is what you don't see, and that's exactly what a ghost story is. It, when everything gets revealed, but it's what you don't see. It's how the characters react to something that they can't see and can't understand. So that's like a perfect segue. I, yeah. I could have very that, well understand that. Yeah. yeah, and that's part of what my revisions have been about, is actually taking details out, because I think I revealed too much in my right. earlier draft, too, yeah. too many details of what, she, what this ghost is like. And uh, so now I'm leaving a lot more to the imagination, and I think it's, get, it's definitely uh, close to finished. That's why I always say that the original Halloween, in my estimation, is one of the greatest horror movies ever made because there was no gore in it. Um, and it was what was, you didn't know what was coming. Now, when he jumps out and stabs somebody, it's like, oh, but, you know, you just didn't know where, was, where anything else was coming from. And that was how, and that's what makes you 
scared because you don't know what's mm-hmm. going on. And that's and that's what's great when you read ghost stories. One of my favorites is Bentley Little. I don't know if you've ever read him, but yeah, he's, he's a yeah, fabulous kind of ghost story writer. Uh, what's funny is that his college roommate is the guy who invented SpongeBob SquarePants. So I don't know where he got that oh, idea wow. from, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was his college roommate. That was kind of funny, though. But tell us um, where we can find out more about your writing. Is it basically just um, your website, uh, LeslieKarenLutz.com? That's right, LeslieKarenLutz.com. And when you go there, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, uh, there's a yeah, you can yeah, sign yeah. up there. Yeah, and I'll send. A, I won't send a lot. I'm not going to spam or inundate people's inboxes. But just uh, what kind of uh, is, which is all going to be virtual, probably. Uh, where where they can find me? I've got some articles and and guest spots on on the like. I have a Reader's Digest um, uh, article coming out. The little guest column. Things like that. So if uh, you sign up for my newsletter, you can find that out. And you can find all my socials on my website as well. Which one are you more active on, probably? Because always, everyone's always active a little bit more on one than the other. I really like Instagram. Okay. I, I just I, It's a more upbeat place in general. Okay. And uh, it's, you know, everybody's showing their pretty pictures. And I think uh, that's where I end up putting a lot of things is Instagram. But I try, I, I try to, to, to spend a lot of time on Twitter. The one I ignore the most is LinkedIn. I got to do something about that. <laughs> I just never go yeah, there. That's a toughie, isn't it? I mean, but then again, it's just a lot of professional people. You don't really find fans, I don't think, out there. I mean, you could yeah. absolutely, but yeah, it's more professional. I, I do a little LinkedIn here and there too, but I get. I'm with you on that one. That's a toughie. Yeah. Right. I would agree. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Leslie. It's been a fabulous conversation. We want to thank you so much for coming on again, everybody. The book is called Fractured. Tide. It is out now. You can find it wherever you buy books and however you buy books. Is there going to be an Audible uh, edition with this? Yes, there is. Uh, and That's it's uh, it's in the works right now. So by the time that this airs, it will be available in June, yeah. I think. And this is the good thing that, if, you know, if they, we're all pinned up now, but we can all still get out and walk, put your headphones on, get your Audible app, and listen, walk for an hour and listen to the book for an hour. I mean, that's what I do. Yeah. I, Turn on my Audible, listen to it, walk for an hour, boom. You know, in about in a week, you got a book done. I mean, it's not very yeah. difficult. It's, it's great. So, oh, yeah, I think yeah. I think it's a great thing. So, congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, they, uh, I love the voice actor they picked for to to narrate narrate the book. It's fantastic. Awesome. Oh, nice. Well, again, Leslie, thank you so much. Congratulations on the book, uh, LeslieKarenLutz.com, L-U-T-Z. And I guess as we're talking about horror movies, that has a nice little ring to an Amityville horror. So people should know how to spell that one pretty easy. Uh, <laughs> That's right. The <laughs> Lutz family. You know, hey, we, you got to link something, right? Six degrees of separation yeah. in some place, and there you go, right there. Um, so, again, thank you so much for joining us. It has been fabulous, and we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much for having me. All right. You good have luck a good with one. the book, and thanks. <laughs>